when we come across Jehovah Witnesses, what do we say to them? If a Jehovah Witness were to say to you, I don't believe that Jesus Christ is God, what would you say to them? Uh, what is our response? If you would turn with me to a few places, we're going to be in our next 30, 35 minutes together, running to a few different places throughout the New Testament here. Um, let's turn first to John chapter 20, verse 28. The number one subject, as I said, with a Jehovah Witness is going to be the deity of Jesus Christ. Um, don't allow yourself to get all of the goofy conversation about why they don't celebrate holidays, why don't they have blood transfusions and this and that. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't impact the life. The deity of Jesus Christ is the heart and center of it all. You know, when Christ asked the question of his disciples when he was in the northern part of Israel, at Caesarea Philippi, and he said, who do people, who do men say that I am? That is still the key question at the heart of everything. Who do you say that Christ is? Because if a person has a wrong view of Jesus Christ, they will never come to know the Christ of the Bible personally. Jehovah's Witnesses say this in their literature. And it's in their little red book, You Can Live Forever in Paradise on Earth, page 58. It says, He is also called God's firstborn as well as His only begotten Son. This means that He was created before all of the other spirits, spirits, sons of God, and that He is the only one who was directly created by God, end of quote. So they view Jesus Christ as a created being. If you were to answer Jehovah's Witness this question, is Jesus Christ your God, they would say no. Jehovah is our God. So they don't look at Jesus Christ as, as God. John 20, 28 is one of the, my first go-to verses. In fact, when Brent and I landed in Panama and were picked up by, um, by Ray at the uh, Panama airport, we then made our way about 10 minutes away over to pick up where we were renting a bus to transport the students from Panama to David. And in this um, building, there was, there was a long hallway, and there was a, a, a stack of literature, a stand. And not knowing it was Jehovah Witnesses, I went over to it and picked up, and then I said, I said to Brent, oh, Jehovah Witness literature. Then immediately, out of the corner, I see this man rushing over. He was excited to have some, um, some prospects to talk to. And so he starts with his little spiel, and knowing that time was crunched, I immediately said to him, give me your interpretation of John 20, 28. And um, he started to go to another verse. And I said, no, no, we're not going there until I hear John 20, 28. And he starts to open. And I think he read it, if I remember, Brent, but he didn't comment. Well, how about over here? I said, no, we're not going anywhere until we hear John 20, 28. And that's just like three or four times he's trying to run other, other passages. And uh, he read it. And he was quiet. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And I said to the man, were you there then at that time? I said to him, that's a pretty powerful verse, isn't it? And he said, yes, yes it is. Because they don't believe that he's God. They don't believe that he is the God. Um, I once had a Jehovah Witness in the beginning of when I was learning about JWs when we were living in Pennsylvania say to me as I met them on the street and we were engaged in a conversation, I turned them to this verse, and they said, well, Thomas probably did this. Speaking to Jesus, my Lord, and he looked up to the heavens, and my God. I said, there's one problem with that. It's the singular personal pronoun. Thomas said to him, 
my Lord and my God, looking at, at him. And I think verse 29 is just as important as the words of Thomas. You see, you're not going to find in verse 29 what Peter once said when they were worshiping him, and they said, you know, don't worship us. We're just simply a man in Acts 10, 29 when, when Cornelius bowed before, before Peter. Jesus doesn't deny any worship. Jesus doesn't deny anything. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen. So basically, in essence, Jesus is accepting his words. He accepts what the man said to him, my Lord and my God. Can can I put a P.S.? Please, this isn't really about what Jehovah Witnesses believe. It's about how do we defend who Jesus Christ is. But even for our purposes, it's even deeper than that. God, give us a heart for everybody. Help us have a burden for everyone, because I'm, I'm pretty young, right? Um, in my young life, I have met Christians who often won't engage JWs because they're honestly intimidated by them. They know their stuff. They don't know how to defend, and so we don't talk. But we need to be able to talk with everybody, but we don't need to know what everybody believes. We just need to know what we believe to be able to defend. Well, here's who, who Christ is. So bring in the Mormons, bring in the Hindus, bring in the Buddhists, bring in whoever. Seventh-day Adventists. I just need to know what the Word of God says and to be able to defend it. So Jesus says to him, I mean, he says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Turn with me to Matthew. Not only did John, one of the apostles following Jesus, believe that Jesus Christ was was God the Son. But I want us to see, not only Thomas did, I should say, but I want us to look in Matthew one twenty three, in a classic, well-known passage. When the angel appeared, Matthew records those words, but this is a quote from Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear his son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And what does that mean? Which means God with us. So he's going to conceive God is going to be with us, and and, and in essence, God has arrived. It's not saying God will be represented by this man, but his very birth is referring to God is with us, and it's really referring to kind of like the Shekinah glory has come. God is going to tabernacle with us. So when Isaiah is quoting this, this passage, he's understanding that it's going to be God, blood incarnate coming down. God is going to be dwelling amongst. God is going to be dwelling with us. God is with us. And if we link that with John 1.14, we won't turn there. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son, the Father, full of grace and truth. So who is this one who's full of grace and truth? Tabernacling with us is God the Son. This is just an opening. Let's get to one of their, the toughest passages or not really tough, one of the ones that they love using the most, John 1, verse 1. This is a translation of their New World. It really should be called New World Perversion, but it's called New World Translation. In their translation, it says, In the beginning, the Word was, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Okay, so it says, the word was a God. Let's take the last six words. The word was a God, or five words. That's, their, that's how it's translated. And yet we see in our Bible, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
So who was right? Their translation, the word was, the word was God or the word was a God. This is what I referred to six weeks ago when I met with my friend Mr. Nelson. I said, Greek backs up our theology and proves you wrong. And we're going to look at that probably just maybe for three minutes real fast if we could um, stay on track. I want to read in that back of that book that I read in Appendix 6a, I want you to read what they say about this verse. It says in the New World Translation, careful translators recognize that the articular construction of the noun, the noun that takes the article, points to an identity, a personality, whereas a singular and arthritis predicate noun, the noun that doesn't have the article, preceding the verb points to a quality about someone. So they're saying the word was God. God doesn't have an article in front of it in the Greek. And they're trying to say that is just simply that noun there's, they believe is describing a quality about the person, whereas the noun that has the article, which is the word word, is actually defining a person. So that's how they come up with their faulty theology. So the question is, is that accurate Greek or not? If you were to look up, take 30 copies, 40, 50, guess how many are going to translate it a God? And if the New World Translation is one of those translations, do you know how many? That's right, one. One. Um, I just... Ran, I got tired. I just pulled out eight or ten. King James, and the word was God. New American, and the word was God. NIV, and the word was God. ESV, and the word was God. New English translation, and the word was with God. New Revised Standard, and the word was God. New Living, and the word was God. Home and Christian, the word was God. Lexum, and the word was God. Revised Standard, and the word was God. All of these translations do not use a God. Now, let me, if I could just break it down a little bit more, and my apology for not having it on the screen, but I didn't realize I could give that to Alan because I knew our man Steve was away, so my apology for not putting it up there. But I want us to understand nominative and predicate nominative. What is nominative? Um, nominative is in the Greek is the, the case that has the subject. So it really is just simply, when you hear nominative, just think subject, okay? It's giving a specific design, designation, man or Dennis, okay? It's, 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 you would be the subject, specifically, okay? That's nominative. And here's predicate nominative. It's just a nominative that is in a predicate noun. It has a linking verb. It's renaming the subject, okay? So when we look at this phrase, and we'll, we'll skip this and the word was God. God doesn't have an article, but there's a linking verb was, and the word word has the article. And so it would be, and the word was God, or we could read it, and God was the word. All right, so really, Greek grammar requires it to be translated the way we have translated it. Um, I have... 14 copies on the back desk of all that we're saying here, uh, these notes, so you could pick it up if, if you would like. Um, here's Cal's rule, which is a very important Greek grammar rule. A predicate, a definite predicate nominative, which is God, never takes an article when it precedes the verb. God precedes the verb was, and it, the, the grammar is it will not take the article. 
So we're not going to put a God with it. It's God. And there's more. Uh, Manti. They quote Julius Manti in one of their books. And Manti, I saw the video years ago. Manti um, got on and says, and he was an old man at this point. He says, they have quoted me. The, the, the Jehovah Witnesses have quoted me as a Greek scholar supporting their viewpoint. She, he said, I am shocked that they would do that. They're, let me see if I have his quote here. Um, a shocking mistranslation, obsolete, inaccurate. It is neither scholarly or reasonable to translate John 1.1, and the word was a God. Um, but let's put that all behind because the reality is you're not going to remember all that I just said. <laughs> but this you will, okay? This is a conversation that, that can be had. We asked a Jehovah Witness, you ready? John 1.1, how many gods do you have in John 1.1? You see where we're going with this? This is an argument. Again, we're not out to win. And, and, and if, maybe next time, because we're short on time, I have, in my cocky manner, entered too many of these conversations to win them. I would have church members, and they would tell me, and they would set up, and we would go have debates. I've done this half dozen, 12 times in different church homes, and, and God broke me. I'm not out to win an argument. I'm out to win a soul. Okay, but we lovingly say, how many gods do you have in John 1.1? 1, 1? And if they're going to, to struggle to say two, but does the Bible have, what does the Bible say about a plurality of gods? There is in the Bible a true God and false gods. Second Corinthians 4, the God of this world, Satan is a false god. And it lists false gods. Oh, there are more than one god, but they're false gods. Baal, Ashtaroth, Dagon, all of these gods, yes, they're listed in the Bible. Let me just read um, a couple passages. Isaiah 43, and we'll move on. Isaiah 43, verses 10 and 11. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I've chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no god was formed, nor shall there be after me. I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. 44, verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, King of Israel, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. And it goes on in Isaiah 45, 46. It, it, it trumpets that continually. By the way, that is, they're, they're great verses with Mormons, who the goal of Mormonism is to become a God. But the Bible teaches clearly there is only one God. There's no other God beside me. So forget all of the Greek grammar we talked about. We simply say to them, but my friend, how can you say that Jesus Christ is a God? They will not say he's a false God. If you were to say how many true gods do you have there, they're going to be stuck. And they have been in conversations that, that I've had. But they're going, to, they're going to have a problem with tying it in with Scripture because the Bible clearly says there is only one God. Jehovah Witnesses um, have basically two arguments that, that I've come across in you know, my conversations over the years with them. Uh, um, their first argument that they will want to state that Jesus can't be God because Jesus had a beginning. He was created, right? God has no beginning. And they strongly believe that Jesus was created, firstborn, for example, in Colossians 1, that Jesus had a beginning so he couldn't, he can't be God. And their second argument that they base um, all of their theology on is, secondly, is that Jesus can't be God for the Bible shows that Jesus is inferior, um, um, that God was the head 
1 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 13, um, that Jesus was below. And John 14, that Jesus said, I go to my Father who's greater. We're going to hopefully look at the, the stuff tonight. You know, we'll probably be here till 9 o'clock, but my wife is with my dad. We're okay. Let's look at the first, the first argument here, um, that Jesus was created. They say that he was created. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. No, Proverbs chapter 8 first. Proverbs 8. In my conversations and, and research, they have three favorite passages to prove this point, that Jesus Christ was created. Proverbs 8 is the first one. And, and maybe the easiest one to disarm. Um, they'll get to verses 22 and 23. If you're following your Bible, I'm going to read out of the New World Translation. Jehovah himself produced me as the beginning of his way, the earliest of achievements of long ago. From time indefinite, I was installed from the start, from times earlier than the earth. When there were no watery deeps, I was brought forth as with labor pains. In verse 30, then I came to be besides him as a master worker. I came to be the one he was specially fond of day by day, I being glad before him all the time. You know who they, you know who they say is speaking? Take a guess. Who do they say is speaking in those verses? That's right, Jesus Christ. So you say, Jesus Christ. So if I'm a Jehovah witness and I'm showing that to you, here's Jesus Christ. He's clearly, God's bringing him forth. He's being made. How would you prove me wrong? How would you respond to Jehovah Witnesses' claims there if they show you those verses and say this is the beginning of Jesus Christ when God made Christ? There's one key word. Because we're the C. What is the context? What is the context? Context, context, context. Who is being personified? Who's being talked about? Wisdom. We go back to verse 1. Wisdom's being talked about. And in my notes, I put out the Hebrew words. You're going to see hokama. You ready for this? Is in the feminine. It's not even masculine. They try to translate it like it's in a neuter, but it's feminine. Jesus Christ is never referred to as a feminine. Okay, if it was, if it was masculine, you know, uh, maybe they would have uh, half of a half of a half of a half a percent of point. But it's wisdom is the subject matter. It's in the feminine. Jesus Christ, take it right off the table. It's not even being discussed. Let's go to um, another verse that they like to use. Colossians chapter 1. What would you say if they said to you, let me prove to you that Jesus Christ had a beginning that Jesus Christ is not the eternal Son of God, that he was created by this verse. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus Christ is the firstborn. He had a beginning. There you go. What would your response be? Okay, but you know what? I'm, I'm going to be as stubborn as I was with that JW. I don't want to go to another passage right now. Prove to me right here, my friend, I would say to you. Now, our theology backs it up, but this passage backs up our theology too. Can I read to you what, what they say? The New World Hamlet reads in these, these verses. 
Man, I am, I am like in so much trouble time-wise here. It's not a pretty thing. Colossians 1, 15. I'm going to read 15 to 17. I want you to pick up on a key word. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, because by means of him all other things were created in the heavens and upon the earth, the things visible and the things invisible, no matter whether they be thrones, lordships, governments, or authorities. All other things have been created through him and for him. Also, he is before all other things, and by means of him all other things were made to exist. They have the word other four times, but they are kind enough to put it in parentheses. They're trying to tell you, okay, it's not there in the Greek, but that's really what the writer means. No, it doesn't, because the moment you, you add the word other, it changes the meaning entirely, because it means he created all other things, that he was created, and then in return creates everything else. Because if you, if, if you are created, then you could create everything else. But if all things, if you created everything, then you can't be created, because you created everything. You follow? So they add that. So... Looking at this word firstborn, though, what, what does firstborn mean? Um, what's, what's coming across here? Let me say that if it meant first created, it would be a word proto-catisis. Catisis is created. Proto would be first, first created. That is not the word that's used here. So it's an entirely different word. It's not saying first created. So what does, what does firstborn mean? Um, what does it mean in this context? I could give you the, uh, an alternative meaning of it, but let's look at the context to see what, what maybe um, we could determine the meaning by the context, and then I'll, I'll tell you what the meaning is. As we're working through firstborn, look at verse 16. It says, Christ created everything, for by him all things were created. So I would say to the person, okay, hold on. Let's understand firstborn from the passage. So we come to verse 16. For by him, by, by Christ, all things were created. Don't give me the word other. It's not in there. All things were created. So here we see Christ created everything in heaven, earth, visible, invisible, dominions rule. He created everything. All things were made by him. Okay, then we see in verse 17 that he is before all things, that he is, he is in front of it. Um, he holds all things together. I mean, he's pretty powerful. He's holding everything together. And then he's the head. Um, and then he says in verse 18 that he might be preeminent. So we see all of these things. It's pointing to him, creating everything, holding everything, and preeminent. So what might the meaning of firstborn mean? It means priority or position. An alternative meaning of the word firstborn is priority of position or to be superior and clearly in this passage, Jesus made everything. The context is they're worshiping false gods in, their, um, in Colossae. And he's showing Christ's supreme position. It's not Gnosticism isn't the answer. The suprem supremacy of Christ is the answer. Christ made everything. He holds everything together. And he says, by the way, he made everything in the heavens and here on earth. And he holds everything together. And this is the purpose that he might be preeminent. God allowed this so that he would be first, that he would be supreme in everything. 
and keep following through the word firstborn. We weren't turned there, but it's used in Hebrews 1, 6, the same Greek word, firstborn, and it says the, the angels worship before the firstborn. What's clicking? Exodus, only God was to be worshipped. Only God. Matthew, bow down before me. And he said, and he quotes Deuteronomy, that only God was to be worshipped. Only Yahweh was to be worshipped. Christ, the firstborn, received worship. It would have to be one of two things. He would either have to be a blasphemer to allow the angels to bow before him, or he has to actually be the real deal God. So firstborn, just look and stay in the context of what it says of the firstborn, that he's supreme, he's the creator, he holds everything together. An outstanding, stunning passage as we're seeing. Um, we won't turn there. But Psalm 89, because I want to get to one other word before. We're not going to get to the second argument today. Um, so if you get my notes, you'll, if I ever get to them, you'll know what I'm going to say. Um, but Psalm 89, Psalms is obviously written in the Hebrew. But if we look at the Septuagint, um, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, you'll see in Psalm 89 it's talking about David. And it says that David is the firstborn. Now, how is David the firstborn? David was the seventh son of Jesse, but it's referring to him, it uses the word firstborn. And again, when they translated it into the Greek scriptures, they took the same Greek word, and it's showing us, I think it's verse 27 of Psalm 89, but it's showing that he might be the firstborn, that he might be the preeminent king of all of Israel. David was the preeminent. So again, firstborn is referring to preeminence of position. That our exalted Lord is preeminent. He's supreme. He's the firstborn in the sense that he is numero uno. That he's number one. Is what God is, 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 is getting across. Let me, let me turn to one last, um, one last passage. Revelation chapter 3. As you're turning. Years ago when I was growing in my understanding and my passion to learn more and more about Jehovah's Witnesses and have them over and, and talk to all, every, every JW I saw, I was riding my bike from Parsippany Baptist Church. We lived a mile away in the safe gas, and we had one car. I would ride sometimes. And I saw these two JWs on the porch of this, of this house. that was about 10 houses from our church. And I went by that, and it was just like, Dave, there are two of them there. <laughs> you know, and I just can't. And so I circled back, went to this front lawn. I put my bike down, start walking up to this house. The man is in the screen door talking on the inside, talking to these JWs. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of discernment. Some might question if I still do. But I went up there and I start talking to this man. Like, he could care less, really, as he would soon say. I said, man, you don't want to listen to their doctrine because they're not teaching the truth, their false doctrine. I start list some of the doctrines. The JWs are just staring at me. Eventually the man said, I don't want to listen to any of you. <laughs> so I said, okay, I got to come up with a better approach. <laughs> Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. I talked to the two guys for a while, though. Um, Revelation 3, 14. And the angel of the Lord and the angel of the church and Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Okay, this is, this, is, this is key. The beginning of God's creation. In their Bibles, they have the beginning. Um, let me see. Where are you? 
It's the word by they have. I don't have it. The beginning of the creation by God. So they have the beginning of the creation by God. Our Bible, correctly translated, is the creation of God. The beginning of God's creation. So here we're looking at looking at Christ, and we might say, well, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, is that saying that he was, that he was created? Well, it's not saying that. We're going to prove it in chapter 21 in a moment here. But it's the beginning of God's creation. What's being said? That Christ is the source. The word RK can mean source, and we'll see that in a moment. Um, he's the originator of God's creation. And that he's the one that's, that's orchestrating, that's putting it all together. By the way, it's the same word that's used in Colossians 1.18 that we just looked at um, a couple of minutes ago. Um, so we have to ask, you know, we would ask, the, you know, the Jehovah Witness, if you are saying that here the beginning is referring to Christ being the beginning of creation, let me show you another verse where this is used. And turn with me, please, if you would, to our last verse that we'll look at tonight, Revelation chapter 21. Verses 5 through 7. They like to show that verse to say that Christ had a beginning, where we simply say that beginning referring to Christ doesn't mean a starting point, but that beginning here is referring to him as the source of God's creation, the word meaning source or originator. And we then show how that same word is used of God the Father, of Jehovah, and they would never say that Jehovah had a beginning. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 5 to 7, I'll skip to 6. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Ask the Jehovah Witness, they will never say it's Jesus. Clearly, that's referring to God. Well, then if God is referred to as the beginning, same Greek word, which means source or originator, what's the problem with Christ then over here being referred to as source or originator? You see the connection? God the Father is called the beginning, so is God the Son. I know it was a quick whirlwind, but this is our, let me close with this, our our prayer and our emphasis. God, bring people into our lives. We need to back down from no one. If we could hear from Tim 35 years or so ago, more than that, we'll stay with that. (laughs) As a kid, 16 years old, that is able to, by God's grace, go toe-to-toe with a well-versed Jehovah Witness, certainly we can know the Word of God. We can apply it to our lives, and we, can, we don't have to be intimidated with anybody. We don't have to have all the answers. Hey, you know what? That's, that's great, friend. I'm going to come back, and we'll talk tomorrow. But let us be bold witnesses. God, bring people into our lives. Bring people that, that I can share the gospel with. I don't care if they're Muslim. I don't care if they're Jehovah Witness. Okay. Can you just tell one? No, okay, never mind. We're going to st- skip stories. It's 802. May God bring people into our lives that we could share the word of God with because we have the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We're set free. We're not in bondage. God, bring people into our lives that we could share the word of God with. God, we love you. Uh, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your truth. God, I pray that We'll meet Jehovah's Witnesses soon that we can lovingly build a friendship with. That we'll meet people that don't know Christ as their Savior, that are um, Catholics, maybe Baptists, but that, Lord, um, need the hope of Jesus Christ in their lives. 
Who is our one? God, may we find the one that you have set for us, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.